When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the TCL studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Balls out, picked up by the Vikings. Joseph, can he win this long foot race? Linval Joseph, no flags, touchdown Minnesota. With a first and goal, Ajayi puts it on the ground. This one is to Thielen. What a throw and catch. And in the open field, Adam Thielen spins down inside the 30. Good win. Nice to, and everything tastes a little bit better right now. So, um, be good to get back with it. Football. Football. Gotta eat. Gotta eat. Gotta eat, Matthew Collar. Linval ate yesterday. Dude, that is that oh. did you see they put the miles per hour comparison between his top speed and Stefan Diggs' top speed during the Minneapolis Miracle? And it wasn't that far off. I guarantee it's like two you, miles per hour difference yeah. between the two of their top speeds. I guarantee you <laughs> per weight versus velocity. Uh, isn't that the uh, physics formula that causes whatever the most damage or power or something? Force? Right? Force. force. The most force would be like your weight and velocity. That he's number one on the team, and it's not close. Oh yeah. Uh, I wasn't surprised that he's that fast. I mean, for sixty-four yards, maybe a little. That's surprising. a long time to be fast. But for. can we talk about his sunglasses and Bane yeah, I'm, from I'm Dark Knight? I'm looking at that look right too. now. That look. With the oxygen, that's iconic, and the sunglasses, <laughs> that's iconic. That's, that's the ultimate and cool. If they win a Super Bowl, that's the statue. It, it should be statue. at the very least. It should be in the running. If if the NFL ever wants to do a silhouette logo like the NBA has, <laughs> that should be in consideration. What are the glasses for? B Rob did that as well. There's a sunglasses. They get to the sideline, and certain guys wear sunglasses. Is it the turnover sunglasses or something? I have I, no I've clue. Never, I've never heard anything about that, but it could be something. Robinson the, the turnover used to wear air tank for sure. Yeah, right? Well, all the all the oxygen uh, was fantastic. But but I wasn't surprised <laughs> that he was quick enough to get a lead on everybody because I watch him on tape run down running backs. That when teams try to run outside on the Vikings, which the Eagles did yesterday, and I thought, what are you doing? I mean, you really can't run anywhere because if you run inside, you run into Linval. And if you run outside, he chases you down. Or so does Daniil Hunter. That was one of the worst play calls of the year when they tried to pitch outside on Daniil Hunter, who runs yeah. a four five. I was at thinking six foot seven. Are you insane? You know, he's probably faster than your running back. I went to the Gophers Iowa game on Saturday. Okay. Let that breathe for a moment. Oh, so, so the Gophers Iowa so game. So did I too. And that when that play happened, I thought, 
boy, that's a great play to run in college when linebackers aren't fast and defensive ends can't get out to the numbers, Mm -hmm. right? But when your outside linebackers and or defensive ends are Daniil Hunter and Anthony Barr and your interior defensive linemen run 18 miles per hour at top (laughs) speed, like Linval Joseph, what are you doing on that play? I mean, unless you had Barry Sanders as your running back there who'd be fast enough to get to the edge or make an incredible juke move, but uh, they don't have Barry Sanders. The Eagles... Sorry to cut you off, Matthew. The Eagles just did a lot of really weird things. They did yeah. yesterday, yep. where it's just like it was sort of uncharacteristic of Doug Peterson because usually he's always he's kind of like Sean McVay, where he's he's like all his eyes and all, all his eyes are dotted and all his T's are crossed. Like that was just really weird. The challenge that he. Challenged on the uh, on the big catch, yeah. Like, what the hell was that? Really, surprising. wasn't even close to being controversial. The whole game plan was surprising because when you watched, even the Bills create some plays using misdirection that got confusion out of the cornerbacks and linebackers, and then you see the Rams execute so brilliantly with all that stuff, with the motions and the fake jet sweeps and lining up in all sorts of different formations, running play action all the time. And the Eagles just didn't really do any of that. And Stephen Weatherly mentioned it after the game that they just didn't do a whole lot of it. He said, you know, there were a couple RPOs early, but that was about it. And part of that is when you fall behind, it becomes more difficult to do the play-action stuff. But they were never so far behind that you would have to entirely stop that. In fact, one of their best drives of the day was running the ball down the field when the Vikings were expecting them to pass. So I was confused by what they brought to the table. But I would also say the the times they did move the ball they fumbled at the end of the drive and yeah. just completely gave the game away that way. So, you know, it was one of those things where it was uncharacteristic of Doug Peterson because I thought his play calling was really suspect, and it was uncharacteristic of that team to give away key fumbles in that sort of area. I mean, to, to see them go to the goal line and give the ball up there when they were one of the best teams in the red zone in the NFL last year was really surprising. And I mean, the the Joseph one is pretty random, but you think about how that game might be different if they finished those drives instead of fumbling them away. I didn't get to why they, they didn't seem to throw at the guys that they, sh- they should have consistently thrown at. Mm-hmm. And they threw to Alshon Jeffrey, it seemed to me, only when Rhodes when was Rhodes on was him. on him, mm-hmm. but but there were definitely times on TV that, that you could see that they got matchups that were pretty good. McKenzie, a guy like that, and they didn't throw to him. It, so yeah, yeah. It, it was a weird game plan. But they they do look like a team that's tired. Yeah, and I wonder about that because how rare is it? When is the last team that repeated a Super Bowl? Do we remember I, Dallas Cowboys? I mean, you have to go oh, New England. Oh, New England in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. okay. But so the, Patriots the, the Patriots are the Patriots. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, you just don't see it very often. And this happens kind of a lot where a yeah. team either goes to the Super Bowl or wins the Super Bowl, and then the next year they're just not the same. I mean, the Falcons were an unbelievable team, and they then last year were not the same, and this year now they can't get out of their own way. And part of that is injuries and, and luck, I'm sure, but there's another part of it, too, that it does take it out of a team and 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 peaks last really short in the NFL mm-hmm. because last year I watched the Eagles offensive line just dominate for the most part the Vikings in that game and give them uh give Nick Foles plenty of time to throw the ball and then 
Yesterday, I watched them get run over by Stephen Weatherly. I, I watched Lane Johnson, who's just a superstar in the league, get beat a number of times by a guy who's a former seventh-round pick. And that is a credit to Weatherly because he's been very good, I think, in almost every game he's been in mm-hmm. since taking over for Everson. He's not Everson, but he's been good. But I didn't expect to see that yesterday. And, and that probably is the case, Judd, that uh, they are a little bit worn down from everything you have to go through last year to play three extra games and go through the emotional part of that and the offseason part of that. I think it takes a toll. I have a take on the Vikings passing game that I, I want I want to throw this out, and I want your football-y football expertise here, Matthew Collar. Mm. Because the Vikings have done, the Vikings are two, two and one, and they've 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 now officially weathered this tough part of their schedule, and they've done three times on the road against Green Bay, Los Angeles, and now Philadelphia. They have thrown haymakers in the passing game for three hours, where Kirk Cousins and company are going toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers and Jared Goff and Sean McVay, and and they're and they're in it and and winning in Philadelphia, and when you think of teams that are primarily pass-centric or doing most of their damage through the air, you think finesse, right? You think, oh, home and indoors, that's going to work really really well. But the Vikings passing game has traveled well this season, and it doesn't feel finesse. And I think it's in part and credit to Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, that those guys aren't finesse wide receivers. Those aren't, I mean, Randy Moss was more of a finesse wide receiver, right? I mean, I'd rather have Randy Moss than anyone in history, but is there something to be said for the Vikings having a passing game that travels seemingly and that isn't necessarily finesse and you can knock it off its game easily. I think Does that, that make sense? Yeah, well the versatility of those two is what drives it because yesterday you saw John Filippo who should get the game ball for yesterday's game for sure. I mean, it just He got one. Tremendously did. Okay, good. They because gave him one. Yeah. It's a tremendous tremendous game plan. Uh, I saw on Pro Football Focus this morning that Kirk Cousins only threw six passes more than 10 yards. They hit on one of them that went 68 and hit on a couple other ones because of great catches by Adam Thielen. But for the most part, they were throwing quick passes and having success in moving the ball that way. And that mitigated the pass rush of the Philadelphia Eagles. When you know I went back and looked how Tennessee had some success against the Eagles, it was a lot of... You know, send four or five guys out there and throw a quick pass, throw a quick screen to a wide receiver. And Stefan Diggs in the first drive had screen passes that were basically successful runs. They were five yards, six yards, mm-hmm. seven yards. And those are positive plays that get you moving down the field and put you in good situations like second and short, third and short, where you can then drop a little play action pass off to Kyle Rudolph for a first down like they did yesterday. So you see a lot of that. And the fact that you have two receivers who can go deep, who can run a screen and make plays with the ball in their hands, who can go intermediate routes, who can block, both of them can block. I mean, I, I think it's just impossible to shut them down if you have accurate throws from your quarterback, which for the most part, they have gotten that out of Kirk Cousins. Yeah, we posed this. Sit on your answer here for when we get Courtney in next segment, but we did a segment last hour. This segment originally took place two years ago, and the parameters were, can you name 12 better receivers than Thielen and or Diggs? I remember someone on Twitter being really upset yeah. with me for saying that. I wonder if they still are. And now I now I now we, we, we reworked the question. Can you name five that you would definitively well, you say? you tried to fight p- people on Twitter yesterday. I did? Yes. You, you tweeted that, that out oh. from two years ago and then said, <laughs> fight me, and had a, a gif yeah, of a guy true. trying to fight people. But besides that, that's I'm sure true. you weren't Tell drinking. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm come sure you weren't me, drinking bro. at all, so I'm sure it was no problem. Uh, so we'll come back. The football hour will continue. Courtney Cronin from ESPN.com will join us shortly here, Judd. But first time to talk to Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, where you all... 
Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic. 694 westbound. We do have a crash uh, in New Brighton near uh, 35W and Long Lake Road. That's adding about uh, seven minutes to your commute. Also 94 westbound. We have that crash near 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. Still about a five-minute, uh, five minutes of extra time in your commute there. And 35W southbound, we have a crash in Bloomington near 90th. And uh, that is uh, averaging about f- four minutes of extra time on your commute there. Gentlemen. Ball's out. Picked up by the Vikings. Joseph. Can he win this long foot race? Linvald Joseph. No flags. Touchdown, Minnesota. Three straight throws to start the day. Feeling with a diving catch. Cousins has found six different receivers. He's found Stephon Diggs a lot. What a good couple of moves for a first down. That was brilliant. Football. Yes. Yes, we've got Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, Manny Hill, and Courtney Cronin, who you can find on Tuesday nights now, too, in studio for Purple Live. And we want to pose this question to you. Are you ready for this hard-hitting football question? Oh, I'm I'm intrigued. Okay. Can you name five wide receivers that you would say are definitively better than either Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs? I mean, that's that's a hard list. You're seeing the type of – to a short answer, no. Not right now. I mean, there's the football you're seeing, Stephon Diggs, and, you know, particularly Adam Thielen playing right now is career football. Uh, I think that's a hard, that's probably a very hard list to, to come up with. I think I would go with Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green. Ooh, A.J. Green. Yes, A.J. Green. Definitely A.J. Green. I think A.J. Green is one of the best receivers to ever play, but he Whoa. has <laughs> Andy Dalton. Uh, I think if you look a little closer at A.J. Green, that you'll be kind of amazed how much we've overlooked him because his quarterback is extremely mediocre. And I think that they're... he's been on a mediocre team. Right. And then the the guy who's hard is like Tyreek Hill because he's clearly unstoppable since he burned Jalen Ramsey yesterday. It's just, you know... How, how good is he really? Odell Beckham and Michael Thomas, I would also take Beckham, over him. Beckham, I'm not going near, though. I, he, yeah, is, I he is a pain right, in the ass. I don't like his personality. And uh, I would say Mike Evans, too, has probably got an edge. But that's about it, don't you think, Courtney? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you're aligning them up to where they're at right now, I mean, sure, sure, those guys are all within the same caliber. But I think that Thielen's playing ball right now that, Every year we look at this guy and his progression. It's like, well, what's what's his next step? What's you know, where is his ceiling? And I think Mike Zimmer said it today. I mean, the way that you know, the way that those two get open before Kirk is even you know, before they've even found their spot. I mean, the trust that they've built with Kirk Cousins to you know be there and be where he wants them to be, where he's supposed to place the ball. I think is just a product of exactly what we knew was going to happen when Kirk Cousins came to town, started working with these two, built chemistry, built a trust. I mean, some pretty remarkable things. Um, and I think that's the best part of this offense, that regardless of what's happened and, you know, people want to talk about, you know, the balance and continuity on offense elsewhere, this is the one that's always remained consistent from week one to now and probably is going to remain that way going forward. 
What should the concern about the line be? Because Reef goes out yesterday. Rashad Hill, Courtney goes from right tackle Look, to the so left negative. side. Negative, negative. No, negative, it's not. Negative. This is this is a genuine concern. <laughs> oh my god! This is dude. a genuine concern because then O'Neill has to come in and play right tackle and and this is Judd. Here's, let, it, let it breathe for one day. No, here's the con- here's the concern. Riley backups playing Riley, on your offensive line right now. Riley Reef doesn't come out unless he's legit hurt. This is not a, oh, it hurts. This is something's wrong with that foot, and it's a legitimate worry. Go ahead, yeah. Courtney. No, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think that the offensive line, I mean, regardless of, you know, the type of win that they got, close win, blowout win, the offensive line is going to be looked at under the microscope for the rest of the season. That's not going to change. And, you know, Riley Reef going out and not returning, even though he was, I believe, questionable to come back yesterday, shows me that that foot injury, uh, we don't know if it's the same injury, the same foot, really, that he injured in the Buffalo game, but I think that's something to definitely be concerned about. Um, the person, I mean, this is this is the personnel you're going to be working with, with the Vikings offensive line. It's not going to change, as we found out last week. Um, and I think, I think excuse me, Rashad Hill handled himself pretty well in switching from right tackle to left tackle. I believe that he had... Um, you know, we allowed more pressures than anybody else. And I think that's kind of what you expect, switching sides in the middle of the game. Uh, but, you know, they've got to be able to find other ways. I mean, you saw how well Kirk handled uh, the game in the face of pressure yesterday. It was really, really remarkable. You get, you know, that, that 68-yard pass to Adam Thielen, I think, is the, the highlight example of that where, the guy's getting hit as he's making the, you know, feeling put the double move and, and they flip the field, but Kirk Cousins was getting, you know, destroyed as he was making that throw and still made a tremendous throw despite the protections uh, and, you know, kind of the breakdown there on the offensive line. That's what we're going to continue to see. I think it's just a matter of, you know, the way that John Filippo is able to scheme around that, potentially, you know, even going as far as changing launch points and moving around more in the pocket. I mean, he's, They've got to do a better job of protecting him. And I think that that's something that's still going to be an issue five, six, seven, eight weeks from now, just given the personnel that you have. Um, but knowing, knowing Riley Reese, like we know Riley Reese, I mean, he's a guy who's going to battle through this and probably, you know, continue to play through whatever's ailing him, just like he did in the Rams game, um, you know, after giving up an immense amount of pressure to Buffalo the week before. Hey, Courtney, have we figured out why Linval Joseph rocks sunglasses with his oxygen tank on the sidelines? I think that he just wants to be the Terminator. That's, that's I what I that's, tweeted. A, that's, that's what I would do. If, I, you know, if, I'm, if I'm trying to get the oxygen back that I just, you know, I guess expelled, is that the right word? Um, I, I'm going to look however I want to, taking in oxygen on the sideline. That was, that was pretty amazing. Do you that expel was... oxygen? Hold, hold on a second. I'm going to find the definition to make sure. What would the other, what would the other word be? It's like, how do you get the oxygen back? To uh, yeah. Well, exhaust. You exa- do you exhaust oh, oxygen? Sorry. Expel, exhaust. Thank you. Too expel right. might be right. Thank you, I appreciate that. I would have gone with exhaust. But wait, wait, no. But, um, Force out or eject, especially from the body. I, was, definitely expelled. ejecting right. oxygen after a 350-pounder <laughs> runs 64 I, yards. I think he was ejecting oxygen. I think Courtney's right. right. Yeah. I think he expelled it. 
Uh, Courtney, do you give more credit to Mike Zimmer's defense or more, I guess, criticism for Philadelphia's offensive game plan, uh, not using misdirections, they're uh, trying to run outside against Daniel Hunter on a key play, a couple of fumbles, including one to Mr. Joseph. Um, is it more that the Vikings caused these mistakes or that Philly just was not the same Philly we saw last year? Probably a little bit of both, but you know, definitely with the misdirection stuff that we didn't see, I expected we saw like a little tiny bit of it early in the first quarter, and then you know they really strayed away from that. And that's how teams have beaten the Vikings in the first four weeks of the season. You'd expect others to kind of mimic that game plan, um, but I also don't think this is the same Carson Wentz that they faced. I mean, before this, he's not running the same. He's not, and that's something you know with him under pressure and the way that they were able to reignite the pass rush. Um, I mean, he had some pretty bad throws on third down. I think I believe the Eagles are two and nine. So, you know, they're forcing they're forcing teams still whether you know whatever happening is happening elsewhere in their defense. I think one consistent that you can say about the entire defense is that if you're going to convert on third down, you're going to have to go for the big play, which um, you know they've, they've been pretty good at stopping that on third down alone. Two and nine for, for once yesterday. So. That's something you hang your hat on. But, you know, I, I think this is a good game for them to kind of reignite what makes them so good. And, you know, putting that pressure up front is, is certainly that. And, you know, they were easy to talk about on, on the Linville Joseph play. I mean, it was, you know, that collective, they all love talking about we like to rush as a unit. We like to do this whole thing as a unit. I don't think you can get a better example of that than Stephen Weatherly, uh, you know, coming off the left edge and, you know, forcing the fumble and while, you know, while sacking Carson Wentz and Linville Joseph recovering. I mean, that's, you know, to me a perfect example of, you know, them playing, you know, finally everything at that point on a high level, which, you know, we haven't seen the first four weeks of the season, probably except for week one. Courtney, how is Mike Hughes looking now, or at least how did he look yesterday? I know he gave up, looked like he gave up the one big play yesterday, but other than that, it didn't really look like he was, he was in bad shape or anything. How does, how does Mike Zimmer feel about how uh, Mike Hughes did yesterday? No, I think, I think Hughes did, I think Hughes did great, except, I mean, that just, that's the one thing that's kind of hurt them so far this season, I mean, giving up the big play. Um, but, I mean, and Hughes, if you watch that play back, Manny, I mean, the concentration he had, um, you know, in, in looking back and trying to, you know, break up the pass, I mean, the receiver just put a good move on it. And, yeah. and it was uh, underthrown, too, it looked yeah, like. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, that, that's something that I don't think Zimmer's all too concerned about. I mean, he seemed pretty happy today just with the progression of Mike Hughes and, and how – you know, he's still at this point of his career as a rookie. There's something new every single day. He comes in, he asks questions. He's really in tune with trying to get better and trying to, you know, take on a role that, you know, realistically very few people expected him to have a starter's worth role, um, you know, just in terms of the amount that he's been playing right now, you know, when he was drafted because we all expected Terrence Newman to be here because we all expected that he would have had to wait quite some time uh, before he's playing this much, and that just certainly is just not the way it's worked out because a lot of circumstances. Um, you know, so I think Hughes really done a good job, you know, especially in coverage. The guy that I'm concerned about is Mackenzie Alexander. It's the same type of stuff that's showing up every single week, and, you know, he's kind of been left looking a little confused there in the middle of the Vikings' defense, and 
that's the one thing that's the constant. Uh, McKenzie and coverage looking confused, and I think that that's a problem. The only difference was that the Eagles didn't take advantage of it yesterday. No, they didn't. <laughs> they really didn't. I mean, he kind of he kind of got lucky there, but the, but the Rams certainly did, and you know, so did Buffalo and, and other teams too. It finally happened, folks. Seven glorious defensive snaps for our good friend George Iloka. <laughs> yes. Seven wow. snaps. He lives. Wow. Courtney, we found him. Football. We found him. Take him off that milk carton. They put him on the football field. They sure did. And uh, I, you know, we take a look at this. You know what they do in in big nickel. Essentially, I mean, they really like J. Ron Curse in certain looks over Mackenzie Alexander in the slot. So. They're going to continue to go with that, and also when he plays that kind of that hybrid linebacker role up near the line of scrimmage, maybe this becomes something as down the line as we start to see George Iloka get more playing time. But you know, Zimmer said it a few weeks ago; he really likes the safeties that he has, and you know, this is going to be a, a situation where Iloka probably has to just wait his turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if seven snaps is really a, enough to to judge. You know, does he know the playbook? Was he good? I mean, I'd have to watch back on that. But um, I think his time's coming. I think it's, you know, had he not played, though, in week five after the state of the defense and, you know, Zimmer saying he's going to evaluate everything after that pretty horrendous loss in uh, for the defense in Los Angeles, I think that there would have been a much bigger question to, you know, does Iloka not know the playbook, which certainly isn't the case. I think he's just coming along, you know, probably at a normal at a normal rate, given how complicated this defense is to learn. All right, we know you've got to go crunch some Mike McGlinchey film, so we'll let you go, Courtney. We'll see you tomorrow. He he is uh, he is a promising young man. Yes. I uh, and he, he knows how to pick a number. He you, really knows. He really does. Football. Hey, you know what? I think um, Courtney, if you're still there, that uh, George Iloka should play more just based on his post game interviews. Because oh, he's, he's just great. He's like a great guy. He's real smart. Easy to talk to. Like, he's been awesome. I'm going to break down all seven of those plays. Look, Zimmer, play him more. Look how excited no, he is right he now. He spoke today about the roughing the passer stuff and, you know, Michael Bennett's call. And, you know, he's kind of remained true to, I think, what a lot of defensive players are saying that I'm not changing the way I play the game based on the rules. And it's kind of like, well, then what's going <laughs> to happen? Like, this is not working. Yeah, it's uh, 11 roughing the passer penalties this weekend alone, and we have one game left. You could say it's getting silly, wouldn't you say, Judd? Wow. Oh. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. On that note. Bye, Courtney. Bye, Courtney. Bye, guys. All right, Courtney Croden. We're going to have to release an inside joke list. Yeah, yes, I was going to say, you're going to have to put that out there. Here you are, for all of you listeners, just email insidejokes I, at gmail, and we'll send you back all the inside this jokes. This is what we mean by that. Yeah. I think there needs to be, well, I think we need to have like an inside joke <laughs> challenge so that the audience can help us create inside <laughs> yes. jokes for the show. Yes. Inside jokes. Uh, they would, I think they would actually have to cover the Vikings to get all of them, but... Uh, <laughs> you could clue them yeah, in on a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, when we come back here, gentlemen... The football hour continues. Big nickel? Big nickel talk. She referred to the big nickel oh. and you didn't play football. That was well, not I, an inside joke. The big nickel No, real. it's real, but it, but it's I the ultimate fo- football I played, thing. I played football after the McGlinchey stuff. It's the ultimate. The big nickel's the ultimate football. That's pretty great. Football. The, uh, the Eagles did something yesterday that a lot of people, including Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, were shaking their heads at, not understanding, but the Vikings should take notes. We'll talk about it next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 
ESPN. Football. Gentlemen, the uh, the broadcast crew was, and Collar was at the game, so you probably didn't hear, the, unless you've crunched the tape five times since you've come back, which is probably what happened, right? I have. The Aikman I, Buck um, stuff. When I flew back, I watched the movie Heat. With uh, De Niro. El Pacino? Like 95, yeah. right? Yeah. They oh, put man. Pacino Fantastic and De Niro in the same movie. movie that, and it's that like, boom. is a great caper film. Yes. Val Kilmer, very underrated in that movie, yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. What happened to Val Kilmer? Dude, he, he got, he? He got Bat- fat Batman, and crazy. Batman yeah. Forever. Oh, that's what happened man. to him. He did that movie. Yeah. Yeah, they, that's right. Val Kilmer did the, the, the first Batman after the Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah. It wasn't very good. No. And the Clooney Batman was kind of. Uh, that was he, an abomination. Was Val Kilmer the Iceman? No. Well, in. in Top Gun? No, no, no. I mean, in, uh, no, no. He, okay, Mr. so Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze. He was, Top Gun. He was Iceman in Top Gun. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but he was. But Arnold Schwarzenegger was Mr. Mr. Freeze, Freeze in yeah. in the okay that Batman movie. <laughs> All right. Well, that's everyone. a coincidence, isn't yeah. it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at there. <laughs> anyway, great movie. That was the tape I was grinding today. But I I looked at over the pro football focus numbers about how good Cousins was under pressure. And he was 16 for 18, passing under pressure. Yesterday. And there, there was a couple was where he got absolutely obliterated and knew that he was going to get obliterated and still you know, puts the ball where it's supposed to be. Or puts a ball in a spot, in a window, that either Diggs or Thielen were going to fill because they're awesome. And, and it worked more yeah. often than not yesterday. The fact that he's just throwing it up to them sometimes, including on that play, uh, the 68-yarder, I mean, that really says that he's grown as a quarterback because I, I think one of the criticisms early was if a guy isn't wide open, he's not throwing it. And he's done that a few times with those guys where they haven't been wide open and he's been willing, if they have one-on-one coverage, to go in their direction. And I forgot what you were even trying to ask me, but, um, oh, about the uh, the broadcast crew. So Well, um, yeah, going for two. Yeah, um, so we'll talk about that. But just something I've noticed that's amazing to me is that teams – are not double covering these guys. Like it doesn't seem as if they're game planning to simply and only take away the two best players on the field. You should leave Treadwell wide open. Leave Treadwell wide open, and he'll still only catch fifty percent of the passes thrown at him. Well, what's, what's crazy <laughs> to me run. is that teams are playing cover one, which means just one high safety instead of two high safeties, which is actually what got the Vikings kind of in trouble a few times against different teams with Sam Bradford, Mm -hmm. where they would have safeties over the top and they would take away the deep stuff and force Bradford to throw the little check downs and then he would get frustrated with that and then they would you know throw a check down on third and eight to Kyle Rudolph. But in this case, they're playing single high safeties, leaving those two one-on-one, and they can't be stopped. One on one, and I just I'm waiting for the NFL to adjust, but it doesn't seem like they are. Mike think, Zimmer talked about it today. I think it's going to take some time because I, I think what, what what you're starting to get now is enough games seeing what Cousins can do. Yeah, because I I think what they're doing is it looks like the game plans are almost currently based off of what Case could do, and Case was pretty good and yeah. had a great year for Case, but he couldn't do what Kirk can do. So I think now with with five games, the ball. What was so impressive about the 68 yard pass yesterday? Was Cousins made a throw? Fletcher Cox is in his face. Yeah, like he yep. can't see Thielen, mm-hmm. and he releases that ball, and ultimately that ball is caught, caught and or incomplete. It can't be picked off. And what impresses you so much is how many plays do you go back to last year where Keenum made plays, and you said that was a really cool play, but we're never going to see that play again. A lot of what Cousins does is repeatable. Yeah, and that's the and, and that's the difference in his ability to make throws. 
that a lot of guys cannot make. And John Filippo never dials that play up for Case Keenum to throw it 50 yards in the air because he just couldn't do it very effectively. Exactly. And that's basically if it gets picked off there, it's a punt. So if you're John Filippo, you're like, well, we have a chance to flip the field here. If we get a big play with a great receiver one-on-one where he's going to either come down with it or potentially get a flag if he gets any separation. And that's why I am blown away that the Eagles are there playing everybody up at the line of scrimmage on that play and not two safeties over the top saying you're not going to get any big plays. If you're going to drive down this field, it's going to be with Rock Thomas and Latavius Murray and throws to Kyle Rudolph. Like You are not throwing it. That's going to have to change. Those though, two right? guys. I, I wonder if it will. I mean, it seems like these defensive minds are very stubborn when it comes to making changes. And I thought, going back to last year, Tampa Bay, when Thielen and Diggs, especially Diggs in that game, just shredded Tampa Bay playing cover three the whole game. Thought, okay, teams are going to play the deep safeties now and whatever. And it just it hasn't happened since, and they've kept taking advantage. And I don't know why these defensive coaches are not saying, hey, Vikings, you average like two yards a run. How about you beat us with Mike Boone? And it's crazy because Thielen was Eating Jalen Mills's lunch. Yeah, all Mills is bad. Afternoon. And then Jalen Mills, there's the one play where Jalen Mills, <laughs> yeah, like after, after Thielen burned him for a hundred yards already. Like, yeah, dude, Thielen's been eating your lunch and, all day. And credit Sit down to, and shut up. Right. And credit to Fletcher Cox for, oh, for pulling him over and be like, dude, dude, you need to pump the brakes right now. You're getting absolutely destroyed by Adam Thielen. Also, though, their defensive coordinator, like, why are you leaving Jalen Mills? Jim Schwartz, man. I know, and Schwartz is a really smart defensive coach, but I can't believe it. Jalen Mills, I watched him against Tennessee get smoked. He's so bad. I watched him yesterday get smoked. Like, this guy can't really play, so why are you leaving him all alone? And you know what? Until he he actually becomes good, he needs to change his hair back. (laughs) What was that hair? uh, Manny Green on top. He's got a Dennis Rodman thing going on, and you know what? Dennis Rodman was actually good. Are you allowed to criticize people's hair, Manny? Yes, I am, because I don't have any. Oh, that hair's awful. <laughs> I'll criticize it. My okay, hair, right. I've got hair and it's awful. I am but I'll allowed criticize to criticize it because I I'm with Manny. <laughs> you go, Manny. You're right. If hey. he was, you know what? If he was good, it'd be great. Uh, you I wa- love it. You wanted to talk about uh, the two point conversion. No, let's let's do that more in depth tomorrow because I think there's a game like there's a geeky football game theory discussion to be had about about why the Eagles went for two when they did and why the Steelers used to go for two more often in the last couple of years. Well, let's yeah. let's flush that out tomorrow sometime in a 10 to 12-minute chunk instead of our quick thoughts. What are people going to find on the old 1500ESPN.com pages right now? Well, so you've got an analysis of Kirk Cousins under pressure, and there's something where I'm, I'm just really not sure which way it's going to go. He's been fantastic under pressure, and it's way better than his career numbers. But the game is now all of a sudden different when if you fall at someone's feet and gently guide them to the ground, you still get a penalty. You I, like that? I mean, you like that? I guess there are a lot of uh, guys who get married and carry the lady through the threshold who now need to be flagged for 15 yeah. yards <laughs> for what Michael Bennett did yesterday. There are, there are grown-ups who play football in the backyard with their children who say, here you go, Billy. Oh, I tackled you. Let me set you on the ground so as not to harm your child. That's what Michael Bennett did and got the penalty. 
I think that that is playing a big role in how quarterbacks perform against pressure, which may mean that Kirk Cousins can sustain this throughout the year. And if he does, he's going to throw for 5,200 yards or something. Also, Vent Line On Demand, Purple Podcast On Demand, uh, Matthew Collar. We're going to wrap with Royce and uh, talk about the legendary and late John Gallardi when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Apparently they don't want to to detract from the Johnny's Tommy's game on uh, Saturday. uh, And I would imagine there's uh, ex-Johnny's who played for him wanting to fly in from various parts of the country. But I don't know what they're going to do. They're not going to get them all in the the church. It's a nice-sized church up there in the Abbey, but... uh, uh, they're not going to get everybody in, so I, mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know what they're going to do. But you know, uh, that's they had to have it on campus. They couldn't like take that and put it in a gymnasium or something, you know. So that's it'll be good. Last funeral I was up there uh, in there was '97 for Augie. Augie's funeral was there, and Gag was there, and very worried about his mortality after Augie died because he was 15 years older than Augie, but. Yeah, John did pretty good. He yeah. got the he got the ninety one, and here's my theory on John: he'll do anything to beat St. Thomas, right? Even this. <laughs> get, get the boys fired up. Get the boys fired up. He'll do anything to beat the top. Wow. <laughs> oh, hey, what Pat? What was what was it about John Gallardi? I mean, people who played for him. They don't. They don't talk about him as a coach as much as a second father or, or more of a leadership figure. What was it about him and his personality and his style that resonated so well with people? Uh, well, he just, you know, first of all, you walk in and I was talking. I talked to Steve O'Toole. Was one of his great defensive tackles, and he's been a Mike Grant assistant forever. Great, great player, and he'd gone to the Naval Academy, right? for a year and then he had a health that they they ran him out because of a health problem he couldn't stay in the navy but he ended up going to st john's and being a great player but he walks in he stands at a t he walks in to meet john he stands at attention you know here's a guy from the naval academy john's got his feet on the desk and says hey steve sit down we, we don't do that stuff around here and don't don't call me coach i'm john and i mean it was just uh you were not you are not a subservient guy. You were you not subservient to him. He treated, you know, he, he was the coach, but it wasn't like he was a dictator in any way. He'd give you hell when you screwed something up. But, uh, you know, he just, you know, you could come in and talk to him. His, his door was always open a crack when you were up there. You could come in and talk to him. It was just, it was a different, it was a different kind of relationship for the, uh, you know, there was no show with him, really. There was no show. But he was a really good coach. I mean, and he, he saw everything. He'd kind of sit around there, and some some people gave him the nickname The Fog because they always thought he was in a fog. But he saw he saw everything. Uh, you know, the right tackle had his stance wrong and on a play. He got the film study on Monday to hate. Dummy, look what you're doing here. You know, so uh, yeah. he saw everything, but he was a different cat. Man, he was he 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 came to Minnesota in 1953. He hated the cold. He he coached hockey, and I uh, <laughs> never seen a hockey game. The rink was outside. He stayed inside behind a window, <laughs> opened the window, and talked to guys because he hated the cold. <laughs> he was 
He once called off practice because he got bit by a mosquito. You know, was, he hated mosquitoes. Mike Grant told me he hated dew. They didn't practice in the morning in August because he hated dew on the grass and get his shoes wet. <laughs> he couldn't stand to practice in the rain because his glasses would get wet. And he had all these peculiarities. But uh, he was, uh, he, you know, he was a... He, was a ground game coach, and then when everybody was running the triple option, he added another option to it, won a national championship. But then in the 90, late 80s, uh, Washington State started throwing all over the place before Leeds ever got there. And he started, you know, he was a guy who went home and watched all the games he could. And he all of a sudden, they were throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. So it wasn't a guy that was stuck in his ways from 1953 yeah. till the end. Hey, you know, what, he always, what, what's the closest he ever came to either moving up, you know, higher in the ranks in college football. Did he, did he ever consider it? Were there any other strong pursuits of him? Pat? I think the only time he ever went and interviewed anywhere was at San Diego and not San Diego state, the, uh, the, the Catholic school out there, uh, you know, and, and I think he was just, you know, two things. I think he was looking for a four days vacation for him and Peg out in San Diego. A <laughs> and B he wanted to, he wanted the monks to give him a, $5,000 raise or something to think he was leaving because, of course, he was the first one that, uh, uh, when he, you know, he used the line every time he ever spoke for 60 years that, uh, when he came, uh, to St. John's, the Benedictine monks told him they had a vow of poverty, but he said he didn't know that included him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they didn't pay much. So, uh, anyway, it was, he was, he was a, a great character, but he was also a hell of a football coach. You know, he was, uh, and, and I don't think the act would have, I think he would have had a hard time with the act at the big time level. You know, I, I don't think, I don't want to say the act, but the approach, you know, the, the, okay, we're not going to hit in practice. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to, hell, I didn't even do calisthenics before practice started. They, he'd no. just tell them to mill around a little bit, and then they'd start running practice. Why didn't he cut he players, Patrick? Oh, well, he didn't cut them, but he ignored them. <laughs> yeah, there's like a hundred kids who just like oh, yeah. shot on the yeah, side. Yeah, like yeah, 105-man yeah. roster. <laughs> no, more than that. Back in, the, back in the day when he could get away with it, he would have, you know, because he'd, he'd have to feed them when they showed up in August, and he they weren't they didn't have any money in their budget. He'd bring in 15 offensive players for the first week. Then he'd add 15 defensive players. The first two weeks, he only had about 30 guys there, and then the other 1,000 showed up. But the 30 guys that he cared about were always there. Yeah. Uh, you know, there. It was, but they all had fun, and they, were, they could run down the hill on Saturdays and say they were on the team. And That's the thing. They, yeah. they so many, everyone kids. played football at St. John's at one point in their career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing he could do is he could identify that kid who was uh, – who was a, a great athlete, you know, who could come to his school. He had a, he had about a half a dozen, 140 pound superstars, you know, he'd get that kid that, uh, you know, he could just ride them and he, yeah. he, he, he won with great players. He yeah. really did. I mean, he, he, and here, here's my theory of football players, whether they're in the NFL or the division three, the great players are all the same except for physique and speed and, uh, you know, natural ability. But that kid at D3, who's a great player, has got the same will 
as a, as a guy in the NFL, and he'd get those willful, you know, guys that really wanted to kill somebody in Division yeah. Three, and he, he won a lot of games. Great stuff, Pat. We'll talk tomorrow. That's wrapping oh. with Roycey. See you guys tomorrow.